Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome back to those who are back. Welcome here for the first time for those for whom it's new. Um, the, the gentleman who came up and shared about whether or not you've had cancer diagnosis 22 years ago or a heart attack 13 years ago. These are our friends, Ron and Julie Oltoff, uh, part of the eldership team down at Cross Point Church. Uh, they had made plans to be with us for recognizing Luke and Jason and among the new eldership. And when we told them we were rescheduling, they said, you can't get rid of us that easily. Uh, and so if you don't know, Cross Point Church down at Crown Point is one of our little family of churches. We consider them sister congregations for us. And these guys are dear friends. And when Ron said, if you've, whether you were diagnosed with cancer 22 years ago or a heart attack 13 years ago, it wasn't hypothetical. That's been his own experience. And when he stands here today and says, God can bring you peace through that, he really is speaking from what God's done in his own life. And, and as we're, as we're gathered together, I notice, you know, Brooke, you start to feel a little apologetic. I know we've prayed a lot already today. Uh, we're not ashamed to pray when we come together in the presence of the Lord, you know, because that is one of the things that whether we're here on a given morning or whether you're at work with someone, wherever you are, the promise of the Lord is he'll be there also. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so whether you're talking with a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, another parent waiting to pick up their kids, it's always appropriate to say, well, let's just look to the Lord together for that and go ahead and offer to pray for them. You know, it's tempting sometimes for us to say, oh, hey, I'll be praying for you. But it's okay also to seize the moment and say, just right now, let's pray. And so without apology, let's ask the Lord to help us as we dig into his word. Lord, we, we long for our interaction with your word, not just to happen from the neck up. Lord, I, Lord, we pray right now that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I, I'm asking, Lord, that you would refresh and ignite in us just an awareness of the sweetness of your presence, of your kindness, and the worth of seeking you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it, we've been kind of working our way through a specific section of Jesus's teaching in Matthew's gospel for, depending on how we do the math, several months, um, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter six, seven, five, six, and seven. And we took a break as we were coming up to Christmas to look at the idea of eternity that God's put in our hearts and to look at eternity. And we're back now in January in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically to look at what Jesus teaches us about seeking God, actually in practice, the practical aspects of devotion and of seeking the Lord. And so we will be spending a fair bit of time camped out in and around prayer during this month. And that's the point of our uh, end of the month week of seeking the Lord in a special way through prayer and fasting. Uh, and as we do, um, last week, we I called it seeking God number one. You know, we looked at Jesus's overview in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, where he shows us so clearly the point of seeking God is actually to seek God, not to impress other people. And so whether it's in financial giving, whether it's in praying, whether it's in fasting, three specific examples he uses, he's saying the point is not to be seen by other people, not to get applause or to impress them or to somehow get recognition from other people. 
but simply to do it towards the Lord, before the Lord. And he repeatedly makes this promise. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And so his summary statement, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, is be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, the, the devotion, devoted actions you do for seeking God. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And if you do, that's all the reward you're going to get. You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he gives us these examples to highlight, to underscore repeatedly that God is our goal not the means to some other end. And when we try to use God's stuff, spirituality or things to draw attention to ourselves so that we impress other people or get recognition from them, we're basically taking the Lord's name in vain. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with that kind of spiritual vanity. And he calls us instead to do our devotion before the Lord, for the Lord's eyes. And these three particular acts of righteousness that he gives, he gives us this pattern, next slide, that underscores what it looks like for us to live with God as our primary audience in the midst of a culture that's obsessed with other people noticing us. And so in verse 2, he said, and when you give to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites who blow a trumpet to get everybody's attention so you can say, look what I'm putting in in the offering. He says, they've received their reward in full. When it comes to praying, he says, when you pray, don't be like the who? Don't be like the hypocrites. They pray on the street corners and in the synagogues with loud voices so everybody can hear. Listen, Jesus is not saying in this passage that if Brooke invites you to come forward to pray, that you shouldn't do it. He's talking about attention-seeking behavior rather than serving when we pray corporately together. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who are just trying to draw attention to themselves. And what have they gotten? They already got their reward in full. And then he says, and when you fast... Don't be like the hypocrites who are doing it to try to draw attention to themselves. And so they they mess up their hair and they put on a a face. Oh, it's so hard all the time. Since they've already received their reward in full. And in each case, Jesus has an alternative. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. But instead, in every area of our devotion to God, there's a different way to do it. Do it in a way that isn't about drawing attention to ourselves but instead is for the Lord's eyes to touch the Lord's heart and to show that he will see it. And so do it in a way that's not obvious to other people. Jesus gives different examples in each case. So when you're giving, do it in a way that maybe even you're not constantly paying attention to everything that you're giving. He says, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing and vice versa. When it comes to praying, pray like God is really worth all your attention and go into your own room and close your door Turn off your phone and give God a time and attention. And then when it comes to fasting, he says, don't be like the hypocrites who try to get everyone's attention. Instead, put oil on your face, do your hair up, wear ordinary clothes and do your self-denial in a way that isn't making a big deal out of it to others. And then in each case, when you give to the needy, when you do it for the Lord, the Lord will see. says your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. When we go into our own own room and we're praying privately and there's no one else who even knows that we're doing it, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when we when we choose not to buy things, enjoy things, eat things that are legitimate and they're okay, but we say, I'm going to deny myself 
because I want to seek the Lord. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And so Jesus is not giving just isolated examples. He's showing us what the flavor of seeking God his way is supposed to look like, supposed to be like. Can you pick up the sort of fabric that that cloth is woven with? Hello? Okay. Because this week we're going to take a closer look at the third of those three examples and say, okay, what is it then about fasting? Because I think in many ways, giving to the needy and prayer, they're a little easier to make sense for us. you know. But what about fasting? Well, fasting itself, it's the practice of abstaining from eating certain foods. Fasting is a kind of abstinence. Abstinence is not just about sex. It's about withholding ourselves from taking advantage of something that we could. And... And so eating certain foods. Look, fasting is not a time where we refrain from sinning. You just stop sinning. Don't do it. Right? There's, there's, it's like in Jesus' economy, it's never okay to be sinning. Fasting is when we take something that's not sin, that is a blessing, that's a gift from God that we would quite, you know, be within our rights to enjoy. We say, no, for this time, I'm going to say no to that so that I can say yes to God in a special way. And so fasting, in that respect, it's a kind of worship. It's an offering to the Lord. And, and it's, not just, it's not just a token hat tip to self-denial. That's part of what Jesus is criticizing about the hypocrites, where there'd be a certain day, and they have to go through the motions of making sure that they're seen as spiritual enough by others. Fasting is not a token hat tip to self-denial. It's a way of turning our hearts towards God. And and I'm going to turn us to to another passage just a couple chapters later here in Matthew. It's in Matthew 9. It gives us some real insight into Jesus's perspective on fasting here. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, well, actually, it's back. Uh, next slide. Um, I kind of quoted this a couple times. This is what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount about fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Uh, Brian and Tammy read it to us last Sunday. Right, that when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. And to show men they are fasting, I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. Next slide. But when you fast, how do you how do you do it? Do your hair, do your face, put on your makeup. You know, do go normal, and so it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting. But only to whom? To your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what's in secret, what will he do? He'll reward you. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 gives us insight. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm deliberately over-reviewing because I know a bunch of you weren't here last week. I know some of you who were here last week forgot it already. So, um, So last week, this was fundamental number three out of three fundamentals for seeking God. And if you missed those, Hop on the podcast. You can find him out. And and it's this idea of living a lifestyle of self-denial. And I want to underscore this because specific times that we fast from food are one part of an overall lifestyle. The saying, God, you're imp- more important to me than fill in the blank here. And, and so next slide. We're in Matthew chapter 9. There's an in, an episode that gives us a lot of insight into how Jesus thinks about fasting. 
And it's going to be from this verse that I really try to build on our understanding about fasting. So Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. What happens is some of John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus with this question. And John's disciples were very committed to seeking the Lord. And you guys know that the Pharisees, for all of their faults, boy, would they follow the rules. And they were making sure that they were diligent to do the things they thought God expected them to do. And so John's disciples come to Jesus and they ask this question here. How is it that we, meaning the disciples of John the Baptist, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast, Jesus? What's up with that? Because in many ways, John's disciples were such a contrast to the Pharisees in so many ways. They're like, he, I mean, we've, we're even in common on, with the Pharisees on this, Jesus. Why are your disciples not doing without food? And it may have been they were asking him this question. I can't prove it, but it's probable that there was a particular day or season of fasting that was going on, and they were observing Jesus' disciples aren't fasting like the rest of us. And, and so Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, if you've got like zero gospel familiarity, you could look at this and say, did he even answer their question? Because it sounds like a really direct question. Look, we're fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus' answer, it seems this metaphorical kind of oblique thing. So let's drill down. What do you think Jesus is talking about? Like this whole bridegroom business. Mike, you said Jesus is talking about himself when he says the bridegroom. He's using this idea of, no, they're not fasting now because what? Because I'm here. Does that make sense? And so then what's he talking about in the next part? Sarah, go ahead. Beautiful. Beautiful. Here you go. Do you want to? You got this, girl. That's really good, right? Jesus is saying, look, there's a time that will be coming when the bridegroom is taken away. What was that? What's that referring to? When he died? And we could say, and, and he's still taken away in a sense, because we saw uh, a few weeks ago, we were uh, studying from Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we saw the Apostle Paul say we, that we know that being present in this body, right, living in this tent of the body compared to our eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Paul says, you know, that well, as long as we are at home in this body, we're away from the Lord. And when Jesus died, praise God, he rose again. He's seated on a throne today in heaven. But there's a sense that there's a separation that's there. And so Jesus is saying, now's not the time to fast because I'm here. But when I'm no longer here in this way, then they will fast. I want us to see that for Jesus, fasting has to do with presence and absence and longing and being with. What a different economy than than a, a, a perspective on fasting that's about the rules and the requirements and the law. For Jesus, fasting has to do with being with him. And so 
Um, this particular passage in Matthew is not unique to Matthew's gospel. It shows up in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'd like to just give you a quick snapshot of how each of those express it because it happens that each of the gospel authors record this episode and they each do it in a way that's very, very similar to each other. So our next slide looks at, um, we better go back one uh, to Mark. So in Mark's version, it says almost exactly the same thing. He felt like it was important when he was writing down the events of Jesus's life under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record this question and answer moment. There was something about this that made a real impression to Peter, to Matthew, to to whoever it was from whom Luke got his account as well. And they're saying, how can the guests of the bridegroom, do you remember Matthew? He said, mourn while the bridegroom's with him. In Mark's gospel, it says fast while the bridegroom's with them. When Jesus answered the question about fasting, in Matthew says, he said, why would they mourn? Somehow fasting has to do with mourning, and we'll get to that in a minute. He said they can't as long as he's with them. It's about presence. Next slide uh, is Luke's version. And Jesus answered, asked the question um, just slightly differently. He says, how can you make them fast when he's here? Yeah, but the point's the same, that there is something here about, go ahead to the next slide, we'll see them side by side, um, that is about being with him, not about following the rules, but about being present or longing for his presence. And this is at the heart of why we fast. And I want to take a minute for us to talk about that, because whether it's fasting or praying or giving to the needy, all of these are the visible aspects of a heart that's hungry for the Lord, that loves the Lord, that seeks the Lord, that's trusting the Lord and reaching to the Lord. Do you notice how Jesus seems to take for granted in Matthew 6 and in these other accounts? He seems to take for granted that his disciples are actually going to do these things. I, I, he doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. He, uh, he says, doesn't say if you give to the needy. It's like when you do this. It's, it's, um, it's like Jesus takes it for granted. Well, if you're going to be following me, of course you're going to be seeking God in these ways. Of course you're going to be doing these things. And these, if I call them the big three, will that summarize for us? Giving, praying, and fasting. These are the three examples that Jesus uses in um, Matthew 6. And they form kind of a trifecta for aspects of seeking God that Jesus chooses to highlight. And I got to be honest, they're not three things that would normally be on the top of my list of things that I want to do and love to do. Uh, are they on yours? Kind of naturally, if God's not in the equation, then giving my money away to other people is not going to be at the top of my list of things that I'm eager to do. It, instead, we'll have a mindset that says, no, I work for this. This is not, there's no free lunch here. Our society isn't built like that. If you need something, you need to go get a job. You need to work. You need to do this. But when God's in the equation, it changes the economy and how we work and how we think. You know, praying for a task-oriented productivity value system individual like myself, it's easy for prayer to feel like a waste of time or for my time in prayer to be almost like a checklist of, okay, God, you got to take care of this. It's like I'm giving God his to-do list is the temptation. 
and say, okay, God, if you take care of these things, then I'll get on with these other things. But it's not the imagery that Jesus uses to go into our own room, to close our door, and to give God time and attention and relationship to say, Father, heaven, let's, let's interact together. And fasting, oh my goodness, yeah, I like food. Uh, yeah, and, and there's times where even emotionally, when I'm going through a hard time, food really feels like my friend, especially dessert. And, and in those, and Jesus is coming at this from such a different direction, where Jesus's perspective seems to be that loving God is first and foremost. And that, of course, if, if seeking God, if we believe he's really there, then of course we would be giving. Of course we'd be praying. Of course we would be fasting. And so let's recognize these are not optional add-ons for extra spiritual Christians. They're not the kind of extra credit that we can tack on after we do our basics. No, these are each separately and in a sense all together because they are intertwined. They are simply part of the kind of life that seeks to honor God, that seeks to know God, that's trying to become like the Lord and to know him. Giving, praying, and fasting are, in a sense, they're the visible tip of the iceberg of faith. That That's part of the, the action of the heart that is turned towards the Lord. Does that make sense? Get a slide? Yep, there's my iceberg. And so let's look at some of what the Bible tells us about fasting in particular compared to other aspects of praying. And and the fact is, so far this morning, you have looked at almost every verse in the New Testament that talks about fasting. There's not a lot. There's just not a lot in there. The other two that, that you can find are in Acts chapter 13, when the early church was in a season where they were seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit spoke They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And then when they were going to actually do that, they prayed, they fasted, and they sent them off, commending them to the Lord who called them for that work. But that's it. Beyond that, there's not a lot of teaching and instruction about fasting that you're going to find in the New Testament. Instead, you find a rich history and almost cultural understanding through the Old Testament about fasting. I encourage you, you know, you can hop online to, uh, or use an app on your phone. Just search through your Bible. Just type in fast because that'll give you all the different incarnations, whether it's fast or fasting or fast plural. And you'll find that a lot of those verses talk about holding fast to the Lord. Uh, you, you may find one about running quickly. Um, but you can sort through them, take the time and look and you'll, you'll catch a feel for how fasting is represented. In scripture, it's associated often with repentance, with turning away from sin and apathy and turning towards the Lord with earnestness. And so fasting does exactly that. It's a turning away from, in this case, food in order to turn towards the Lord. And it makes practical and tangible the aspects of repentance and faith that often we find elusive and kind of vague and hard to get our heads around. And so fasting, I, I want to highlight sort of three interconnected themes about fasting um, that I hope will, honestly, if I'm really honest with you guys, what I'm hoping for this morning is to inspire you 
about something that we would naturally avoid. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we can together catch something of the beauty and the opportunity of seeking the Lord in this way, in a way that isn't about one week at the end of the month, once a year, but can be. you can start to recognize in your life the moments and the times where the Holy Spirit's tugging on you and where it just makes sense to use the tool and the great gift he's given us of drawing near to him in fasting. So here's three interconnected aspects of fasting. There's mourning, there's longing, and there's aligning. There's an aspect of fasting that is about grieving over what's broken in our own lives, in those we love, and in the world around us. We'll unpack that more in a little detail. There's oh, back up one. I want to run the overview. Thanks. Doing great. Appreciate the help. The, there's also a sense of longing that comes through in fasting. What did Jesus say? You can't make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them, but when he's taken away, then they'll fast. And, and this long word that's up on the slide, can anybody pronounce it? Show off. Uh, eschatological, right? Uh, uh, eschatological refers to the end. It's looking forward to that day when all the things that we're mourning over are made right. And and we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Instead, our mourning is coupled with our faith that says as broken as things are here and now, we are longing and looking for the day where Jesus makes it right. And so these are intertwined and mingled aspects. There's mourning, there's grieving, and there's longing with hope and faith. And thirdly, there's a lining. There's a sense where fasting enables us through our body, the way our bodies and our soul and spirit are intertwined together to bring our own hearts in tune with the Lord's heart. It's a way of clearing out some other things so that we can align our hearts closely with what matters to the Lord. And so let's take a closer look at mourning. Uh, this idea of grieving over what's broken. You know, There's moments in our lives where we feel that more strongly than others. And and one of the things that I think is a chronic temptation for me at least is to just kind of insulate and harden up my heart so that I don't have to. Um, we talk in our family about it being easier to stay mad than to be sad about things. And and there's, there's a, a temptation that I consistently experience to try to distance myself from the suffering of others, which is, you know, kind of an awkward confession when you're a pastor. But I'm also a human being. And, and this is one of the realities that mourning, who in the world would just say, oh, I love to grieve. I just love to come and mourn. But here's the reality. We can't escape it. If you're going to love you'll experience loss. If you're going to give your heart and, and care about people, you will get hurt. If, you, if you're going to live in this world, in this age, which is where God's put us, there will be pain, emotional pain. You know, a, a broken arm can be so much easier than a broken heart. And there's something about fasting that enables us to do that in a healthy way. 
Uh, and when we're in avoidance mode and withdrawal mode and we're pulling away from grief, and sometimes people use language in very well-meaning ways to say, no, you just got to be strong. We're actually moving in the opposite direction than we need to move. Fasting is a way for us to move towards God in our grieving. And some of the things that we grieve over includes our own sin. That when we look, we say, the thing that I I longed to do, I don't end up doing. And the thing that I don't want to do anymore, oh, I did it again. And when you're when you're confronted with the reality of your own sin and brokenness, the ways that we fall short of the glory of God, and we've determined over and over that we're going to do it better next time, and then here we are again, it's time to fast. It's fasting time. It's time to say, Lord, I'm grieving over this, and to allow some of the discomforts of denying ourselves of food or other pleasures for a time to be part of our grieving. And and it, it can be very appropriate as well when we're going through a time of grief and loss because we've lost someone we've loved. It doesn't have to do with sin. Fasting is a very appropriate response to our own sin, but it's, it's a response to grieving and mourning even when sin isn't involved. When someone you love has passed away, maybe someone you love is suffering through cancer, and even if the prognosis is good and you're trusting that God's going to bring him through, the pain of the process is part of the brokenness of this world. And we draw near to heaven when we fast. We deny ourselves from food. Is that making sense? How do we respond to cancer, to sickness, to death? I mean, it's tempting to just go on a Netflix binge and try to distract ourselves and turn our mind in a different direction, um, get our minds off it. What we really need is to be able to draw near to the Lord. And God's given us this privilege, this opportunity of using fasting as a way to tune our hearts towards him in those times. Does that make sense? Yep. And so this is inseparable for longing for the Lord himself. Because when we're mourning, when we're grieving, the thing we're really longing for is to be with him face to face forever. To have him wipe away the tears from our eyes. To have him take what's broken and make it whole. To take what's crooked and make it straight. And for him to be our lamp and our light with no other substitute. And so when we fast, we're acknowledging and we're saying that the best this world has to offer, it's just a hint and a glimpse of what being with you, Lord, is ultimately really like. And part of the the value of understanding that fasting is a way to express our longing for the Lord, is it highlights for me that even when times are good, fasting is appropriate. When times are good, fasting keeps me from taking for granted how good things are. Fasting, when times are good, when I'm well, when I'm happy, when I'm blessed, fasting helps me remember that it's the Lord, not the blessings that are my life. And so mourning and longing are like two sides of the same coin, whether times are hard or whether times are good. It's the Lord that we cry out for, the Lord that we long for. When the bridegroom is taken away, then they'll fast. Jesus says, it's about my presence. And in whatever way we can crave, long for, it's like what Brooke read to us today from Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, 
and to seek him in his temple. It's about him. And there's something about saying no to food for a while that reminds me that my bread, my drink, my real life is found in the Lord, not in myself or in his blessings. And thirdly, this idea of cooperative alignment, that fasting can help tune our hearts towards the Lord's heart, is is because there is there is a constant and chronic battle between flesh and spirit in our lives. And Paul says in Galatians 6 that if we sow, if we plant seeds that are designed to please our flesh, we'll end up reaping a harvest from the flesh. But if we plant seeds that are designed to please the Holy Spirit, then we'll reap a harvest from the Holy Spirit. And so as we fast and cooperate with seeking the Lord, we've got a great opportunity to sow to please the Spirit. And and to do this, please understand, fasting is at its best when it's not in isolation. But instead, that fasting is one part of an overall response towards God that includes deliberate time of prayer, deliberate extra time of prayer, that includes doing good for others, including giving to the needy. That's why what I was calling the big three of giving and praying and fasting really are intertwined. They go together. Church tradition through the centuries has has consistently said that when there's a time of fasting, it should also be a time of serving the poor, giving to others, and intense prayer. And in fact, through many church traditions, they'll explicitly warn us and teach us that fasting without those aspects of giving and praying and serving can not only be spiritually worthless, but even spiritually harmful. Because we can just become proud of what we're not doing instead of focusing in on the things that are close to God's heart that we cooperate with him when we do. Does that make sense? So um, let me t- take a couple minutes on how we fast. And and Neil, if you wouldn't mind helping me, I think right on the table outside the door there, there's a stack of 100 printouts saying how we fast um, that I want to make sure to remember to, to pass out uh, here. Um, if you've been part of Mercy Hill for the last several number of years, you'll recognize this particular handout. We've used it for years here in this church. I think I wrote it a dozen years ago now, 11 years, something like that. Maybe it's 12 now. Um, and, and it hasn't changed because it hasn't changed, right? These things are still true. Um, and, but what I'm about to tell you is not the same as what's on the handout, all right? So as these guys pass out the handout, your attention is going to want to go to reading it. No, read it when we're done. Take it with you. Read it this week. Soak in it. Let it be something that helps you continue to meditate on how you would fast. Now, what I want to do now is keep going in the theme of what Jesus and Paul have mentioned in these themes I've already touched on. How do we fast? Number one, we fast intentionally. Um, sometimes we fast involuntarily meaning we thought we were going to be able to have some food and we end up in a situation where the food isn't there. And when that presents itself, we have an opportunity to dedicate that involuntary fast to the Lord and turn it into worship instead of just complaining. But for the most part, uh, we don't just passively end up in a time of fasting because we like to eat. And, and in addition, if we wait until we feel like we're being led by the Spirit to fast, we're not going to fast very often. True? 
I, I think in part because our appetites can drown out the drawing of the Spirit. And so one of the important aspects of how we fast is that we do it intentionally. Um, if you if you don't see the value of fasting and make some plans to choose to fast, it just won't happen in your life. So the intentionality is important. There, we, we don't have a biblical prescription of how often and what days and so on. In fact, in the Old Testament, originally in the law, there was one one day per year that was designated as a fasting day for all of the people of God. It's the day of atonement that Jesus has fulfilled through his own death and resurrection. And instead, what we're living in now is this invitation of Jesus to long for his presence and to draw near to him. And so there's really no limit on how often you're allowed to fast, but we need to be wise in the choices we make about that. So how often here? Um, I'll highlight again that Jesus doesn't say if. He says when. He says when you fast. And so if the answer to how often you fast is never, I invite you to take a fresh look and to give it a try, not because you might necessarily enjoy it the first time. I would say fasting, in my experience, is an acquired taste. The fasting itself is not necessarily very fun, but there's something sweet about the presence of the Lord and something that develops in our walk with the Lord as we practice fasting over time, that is precious. Um, but also, please, the frequency and duration of doing without food needs to be consistent with the season and situation of life God has you in. If you are pregnant, please don't neglect the nutritional needs that you and your baby have. If you're nursing, it may not be a time to be fasting from food altogether. Be wise in that. If you do manual labor for a living, be wise with it. Um, your metabolic needs are going to be different in different seasons and times of your life. Uh, if you do a manual labor versus, versus working a desk job, if you're a mom with small kids who's pregnant and nursing. So part of the point of the handout that we gave is to highlight that there's multiple ways of fasting. Um, if you stop eating food, please don't stop drinking water. Yeah, if you are uh, recognizing you need, you have nutritional needs that your body needs, your baby, your family needs, um, it's legitimate to fast in other ways as well. You can do partial fasts. Uh, it's not a black and white, all or nothing sort of option. Um, but the final thought I want to leave with you is that fasting, how do we fast? We're embracing an opportunity, not fulfilling an obligation. Fasting is a privilege, not a duty for us. But it is one of the actions by which a heart towards God finds expression. And fasting is an opportunity for us to tune our hearts closer to the Lord's heart, to draw near, to come close to the Lord, and to be transformed to be more like him. And that's why I said it's my hope this morning to just help ignite in you a fresh sense of the worth and the wonder of saying no to ourselves in order to draw near to the Lord. And my hope is that you'll you'll catch a taste of that reward that Jesus talks about, how our Father who sees what's done in secret does and will reward. Fasting is not our means for extracting something more out of God that he doesn't want to give us. 
It's a way by which we can draw near to our good, good father and have him tune our hearts closer to himself. And as Jesus says, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And so as we conclude this morning, we're going to be sharing communion. And you may recall, because we've talked about it, we saw it even the previous week, that Jesus said about the the Passover supper, this bread and this cup of communion. He said, I will not drink of this cup again until, until I drink it with you anew in the kingdom. There is something about communion and the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's the meal that we're really looking forward to. The meal that really satisfies is a celebration of the kingdom come. It is the moment where with joy and with tears wiped away from our eyes, we're celebrating together in the Father's presence the fullness of everything that Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. So one of the reasons why every Sunday, virtually every Sunday, when we come together, we're sharing the bread and the cup, is that we remember what Jesus has done. We participate together in his grace and we proclaim that this is his death until he comes again. And so as we do, uh, some of the guys have, have the elements. They're going to come and, and begin to pass them out back and forth. As we do, use this pause. Yeah, You're not in your own room. You don't have a door you can close. But the kids are still downstairs. Uh, we've got a moment here where we can quietly draw near to the Lord. And without apology for praying, say, Lord, help me see ways that I can respond in my own life to say no to other things that help me to draw close to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. One of the keys about fasting, it's it's not about doing more, it's about doing instead. It's not adding in more to your life. It's, It's about the Lord instead. And so be... Be asking the Lord even right now, what might he want to take the place of? It's already filling space in your life, in your time, in your attention. And and let him put his claim to that. Lord, we draw near to you in this moment. Lord, we acknowledge where we run away from grief. We want to try to find quick fixes for our brokenness. Lord, we want to take it into our own hands or find someone else who's going to be the solution. Lord, we draw near to you right now. Lord, I pray for where our hearts are just hurting among us. God, where the weariness of of life in this world has worn us out. Lord, where our striving and our efforts to fight uphill against the way things are uh, seem so futile sometimes. Lord, we look to you. Lord, I, I pray in the midst of blessing, God, where we're able to enjoy our health and things are going well and, and it all seems good. 
Lord, that we remember the Lord who gives us. You're the one who gives us every good thing that we have. You're the one who's brought us this far. Who supplies our needs according to your riches. Lord, as we look at our own shortcomings and the way that we wish we ourselves were different, Lord, we look to you. You're the one who transforms us with ever-increasing glory into your likeness through your spirit. Lord Jesus, we most especially thank you this morning that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you gave thanks. You broke it. You gave it to your disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, you took the cup. And when you given thanks, you offered it to your disciples and you said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you that even as we look at this, how we can seek you through fasting, Lord, that we can come in boldness and confidence of the forgiveness you've already bought for us, that you've already made yourself our own, that we are yours, we belong to you. So Lord, with thanks and with faith, we take this bread and this cup now. In Jesus' name.